well, I'm sorry, there's no food in here. We've got tea and coffee and some fruit. So if you want to grab that, you're more than welcome. Um, oh, there's cakes and biscuits. Hey, I tell you what, going up in the world in this church, there were cakes and biscuits. So guys, if, uh, for those in here this morning, we're going to carry on our study into the book of James. So if you've got a Bible, you can grab that, and we're going to be in the book of James. We started, anyone, I, think th- I think this is Sermon 3, so if you've missed the other two, you can get online. Uh, hopefully they've been helpful for you. If you don't own a Bible, then we've got some Bibles over on the Connect Point there, our gift to you. You can take one of those, uh, and you can uh, get into reading that, and we'd love to give that to you. But we are in the book of James, and um, what we know so far is that James is the half-brother of Jesus. Okay, so this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. And um, he, that means that Mary was his mum, but we know the Holy Spirit, um, long story short, come to Christmas and you'll hear that story. Uh, but Joseph was not Jesus' biological dad. It was his, anyway, long story short, we'll, we'll cover that at Christmas and you can more than welcome to come back for that. So half-brother of Jesus. And we know that he is writing to Jewish believers in the known world. They've been dispersed uh, and they're spread out amongst the nations. And, and James actually didn't believe in Jesus until the resurrection that Jesus' own brother did not believe in who Jesus was until he saw him die. He was like, I've seen you die. You died on that cross. You were buried, and now here you are back in front of me alive. And that was the point at which James believed in who Jesus said he was. And we know that James then went on from unbelieving brother to be pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And so what shifted in James' life? that he actually was willing to go from an unbelieving brother to be pastor of this church in Jerusalem to then actually be willing to die for his faith. Because the historians of the time, Josephus and other historians, write of James the Just, that there was a point in his life, probably 20 years after the writing of, of of this letter, that James is taken to the top of the temple and the Jewish leaders of the day say to him, you need to renounce your faith in Jesus. And he refuses to reject Jesus. And so they chuck him off the temple. And he he falls to the ground, and you'd think that would be enough to kill him, but it's not. And he's lay half dead on the ground. And so the leaders then come, and then they stone him to death. So that's a cheery subject for the Sunday morning, isn't it? Welcome to church. We're talking about martyring this morning. But he was willing to go from this unbelieving half-brother to actually willing to say, do you know what, I'm going to give everything. But he came under some immense pressure. I mean, he came under persecution. And I think 20 years before, as he's writing this letter, I think those that he's writing to, perhaps not the same kind of persecution. I'm not convinced that it's it's kind of death persecution, but I think they're being pressured to compromise by the culture that surrounds them. Pressure to give up that which they believe, to compromise that which they believe because of the pressure from the culture around them. Can I say, I don't think there's any more apt book for us to be reading than where we as those in the room this morning that follow Jesus, where we find ourselves the pressure of culture to compromise and to lay down some of that which we believe. And James is writing in to that very subject. And so this morning I'm going to ask you to buckle your seatbelts. The next two sermons, maybe three or four, I haven't planned how long this is going to be yet. But this is Father James. Remember we talked about Father James? This is like a fatherly letter. He's sitting his sons down saying, right, let me tell you some home truths. Let me tell you how it is. So if you want to complain, you can take your complaint up with God because it's his word. I'm just the messenger. I'm just reading it out to you. Uh, and so if there's some stuff that starts to push some buttons, um, then, uh, then great, push some buttons. So I'm going to start reading. Uh, and if you want a title for this morning, it's called Keep the Change. Keep the Change. Verse 19 of chapter 1, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers. 
Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Maybe some buttons already being pressed. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Let's just say it as it is. Father James, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in all his doings. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself from being unstained from the world. Can I just pray? Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I just pray that, that your word would do what only your spirit can allow your word to do this morning, which is just meet each one of us right where we're at. Lord, whether we are 40 years following you, four days following you, or we're not sure who this thing is that's being sung about this morning. Holy Spirit, you just come and meet us right where we're at. And Lord, I pray that for those of us that follow you in this place, we would do what only we can do, which is hear your word and actually act upon it and do something about it. And Lord, we do just pray that Europe would win the Ryder Cup because we are your, count, your continent and uh, no golf fans. Okay. Cool, a tough crowd this morning. We're winning, for those that don't know. I was listening this morning as we were coming in, and we are winning. I don't know the score at the moment, but we're going to beat the Americans. So, um, have you ever wanted a change? Have you ever wanted to change? Question? You can, a bit of participation. Have you ever wanted to change? Have you ever struggled to change? Okay. So I think we can all agree in the room that there are moments when we see things in our life and we want to change, but then actually we struggle to do to I've, I've had that this week. Um, Reuben has not been well, so he's been waking up really early in the morning, like 4.30 early in the morning, and um, it's been a struggle. So by the time you get to kind of 7, 8 o'clock at night, I'm ready to go to bed. I'm absolutely exhausted. Uh, but I know in my head that if I go to bed at that time, that I'm going to be up at 4.30 the next morning anyway. It's like my body knows it has a certain amount of sleep, and then I'm just wide awake. So I, I kind of, I'm thinking I need to go to bed because I'm absolutely exhausted. But then either Carl will turn to me, my wife will turn to me, or I'll turn to Carl, and we say like the dreaded words of, should we watch another episode? Because <laughs> we love to binge watch, and we've got another Netflix series that we're into, and it's like, should we watch another, just one, just one, just one episode. And then by 11 o'clock after we've watched three, we're like, we're absolutely shattered. We should have gone to bed three hours ago. See, and I know that we should have gone to bed. I know I need to change, but I just find it really hard to change. I think James in these verses, James in these verses is going to present to us what I think are some of the most significant principles about why we don't change. Or let, let me flick it into a positive about how we can change a no lasting transformation. Not just change because actually some things we can will ourselves to change, can't we? It's just, you know, we get it sorted and we change. But then those areas where we've tried and tried and tried again and we just really struggle. And James starts off straight away and he says, Though Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I mean, there's just a transformation verse straight away. 
James writing, just saying, I'm going to be a dad and let me just sit you down for a moment. Let me just tell you something really honest. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak and slow to anger. I don't know about you, but so much of my life is lived the other way around. Like I can be so quick to anger. And my tongue is there so quick. It's like, have you ever been speaking to somebody and they're talking and you're just like, will you hurry? Inwardly, you're sort of saying, will you hurry up? Because I've got something really good to say that it's going to really impact you. And it's going to be like, wow, just come on, get, to, get finished. I need to speak right now. And if you put me in busy traffic, oh my goodness me, it's like the whole of my existence flicks around. Especially if it's a Saturday morning when I get stuck behind a Sunday driver. If you're a Sunday driver, can I just say, like, you've got six other days that you can do your stuff. There's some of us that have to work and we only have a Saturday morning and we're trying to get things done quickly. And I'm stuck behind one and I've got anger right up there and my tongue is going, I'm not listening to anything. That's the reality of me. But James is saying, be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger. Now, can you imagine, just just picture this for the next 15 minutes. Can you imagine what it would be like if our world adopted this posture? For 15 minutes, the world was quick to listen, slow to anger, and slow to speak. Can you imagine the difference? Can you imagine for the next 15 minutes if every church adopted this posture? That instead of trying to prove that we're right and using lots of words to prove, actually we, 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 we stopped and we listened. And we were slow to speak. And slow to anger. But the problem is the human condition likes to be right, don't we? We like to be right and we like to prove that we're right. And that usually means lots of words. I love how Eugene Peterson writes these words in the message. He says this, lead with your ears, follow up with your tongue, and let anger straggle along in the rear. God's righteousness does not grow from human anger. See, what James is saying here is that God wants you to change God wants to work something in your life, the way we interact with people. And it's not just about a Sunday morning. It's not just about being uh, faking it on a Sunday, because I don't know about you, but I can fake being quick to listen on a Sunday morning. But what about a Monday morning? What about a Thursday evening? What about all the minutes in between when actually something triggers us and we can no longer fake it? In those moments, James is saying, This is the kind of faith that we should be having. Faith that actually starts to transform who we are and what we do. Now remember, James is speaking to believers. He's speaking to those that have said yes to Jesus. So he's saying, if you have said yes to Jesus and your faith is real, then surely you should start to look a little bit different. Surely you should start to sound a little bit different. Anyone who reads the book of James and tries to tell you that there is no gospel of grace in it, can I tell you this, this verse is a grace verse? Leading into the next verse, verse 21 is another grace verse. It says, God wants to change and transform you. And then verse 21, it goes and it says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. See, we read that and we think negative. But actually, remember week one when I said there's two things we need to remember when we read a book of the Bible? Anybody remember those two things? A little test for those that were here. Who wrote it and who are they writing to? Who wrote it and who are they writing to? James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote this, and he's writing to those that already believe. So, okay, let's just clear this up. James is writing to those that already believe and have received what Jesus has done for them. Yet here he says, 
Now receive with meekness the implanted word of God. So what's James saying? Is James saying, receive that which you've already received. Hang on, but we've received it. Receive the implanted word of God. But I've already received it, James. I've already, I've read the book, you know, I read it and I know how it ends. And it, there's a little twist at the end that I didn't see coming. Spoiler alert, he rises from the dead. Didn't see it, but it's there. I've read it. But James is saying, no, 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 hang on a minute. There's something more to this. You've already received, but I'm going to ask you again to keep on receiving. This is a grace verse that in one moment we might accept what Jesus has done for us. That we believe in who he is, but there's not a full stop. That actually, as followers of Jesus, we need to keep on receiving and keep on receiving and keep on receiving. And, and this morning as we woke up, we go, I need to receive your grace and your mercy again. I need to receive it because, do you know what? Yesterday I did some really dumb things and it was a really tough day, but I need to come back to you and I need to receive afresh again your word. I need it inside of me to be reminded who I am and who you are. God, I need to keep on receiving. I need to keep on receiving. See, Jesus spoke of the religious leaders of the day. And he says in John chapter 8, 37, he says, You seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. These guys knew their Bible. Or more than most around them, they knew their Bible. But Jesus is saying, but my words, it found no place in you. It's not been planted. That's what James is saying. Receive continually. Receive continually the implanted word. That word implanted, it means planted with the intention of growth. So we might have accepted Jesus 20 years ago, read it all, got it sorted, figured all this out, it's nailed. But are we receiving every day? Are we receiving afresh every day his grace that's poured out for us? Don't tell me James doesn't have any grace in it. Don't tell me James is all about works. There's a grace verse right here. Are you continually living your life in a posture that receives Receive with meekness the implanted word. I love that word, meekness. It means receive with a childlike humility. To have a posture that says, God, if nothing goes according to plan today for me, I know that you're working in and through my life. And so I receive what you're doing in and through my life today. I receive it because you're working on my behalf. And I receive, and I receive, and I receive. Do you know meekness, uh, that childlike humility is the most powerful posture a believer can adopt. To receive what God is doing in our life. Church, if we want to see genuine transformation in our lives, we need to, point number one is this. Some of you are going to be really happy today because there's three points. Proper preach. <laughs> but if we want to see genuine transformation, we need to hear consistently. You see what James writes, he says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Receive with meekness the implanted word. Do you see the connection? Listen, receive. Before you do anything else, be listening to each other. Be listening to God. You see, Christians, we can be so filled with our own opinion that actually we've got an opinion on who God is. And I think that's what Jesus was getting at when he was talking about the religious leaders saying, oh, you know your Bible so well. You think you understand God that you're trying to kill me and I'm God. And he was saying, guys, what you've done is you've created a God that is really just an idealized version of yourself. And he's saying, actually, you need to receive afresh every single day and receive it with meekness. And then, amazingly, after verse 21, this is going to blow you away. It's, this is high theological stuff this morning. After verse 21, 
comes verse 22. i tell you what, this is good stuff. I'm preaching this morning, so don't have a little doze. You're going to miss something. Verse 22 goes on and says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. You see, the problem is what we do is we take verses like that and we go, right, church, says here in James 1, 22, we've got to be doers of the word. We've done far too much talking in this place. We need to start doing. So you've got to start signing up to everything. We've got to start stepping out, doing everything. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. Get your checkbooks out because we're going to start signing some checks and we've got to start doing some more stuff because that's what you need to do. You need to start doing because that's what the word of God says. We've been doing far too much talking in this place. We're going to start doing. And if you take the verse out of isolation, that's what it does. And what happens is we start doing out of a sense of obligation to try and satisfy the guilt we've got within us. Because I'm not doing enough, so I need to start doing some more. But the trouble is, if we take verses out of context, then actually what we're doing is we're we're doing something called eisegesis. As a little word for you, you can take away and impress your friends. When you're taking something out of context and you, you just make a little gospel for yourself out of that one little verse. But actually what we're meant to do is put it back in the context and do something called exegesis. There's another good word for you. And we're meant to put it in the context and say, actually, hang on a sec, this is a really challenging verse that seems to go against the gospel of grace, that we, we receive grace uh, because it's a gift from God, not because of what we do. But hang on, this verse says now we need to be doers. Okay, put it back in the context. Have you received? Receive the implanted word of God with meekness. Now be doers of the word, not hearers only. See, when we put it back in the context, we actually hear what God is saying. Church, if we want to experience lasting transformation, we not only need to be hearing constantly, but we also need to act instantly. See, information alone, when we build up the information about who God is, what it causes us to do is be able to stand on the sidelines and judge everyone else's attempt at living this Jesus life. Well, you stumbled a bit there, didn't you? Word of God says this. Not very good, is it? But actually... When we, when we couple information with application, we start to see transformation. And some of you are getting really excited because I'm actually putting alliterations in my sermons as well. Application plus information equals transformation. See, the information of Jesus' amazing grace overflows in our life and starts to change our actions and we get alongside others in this place and we start to make mistakes together and we start to see the grace of God together and we start to spur one another on towards love and good deeds and say, come on, you can do it. Come on, God does love you. Come on, let's go and see. Let's, uh, let's receive from God first and then let's go and do. See, what James is saying and what he's about to illustrate is that if you're knowing responds with doing, you're going to see some transformation. But if your knowing is over here and then there's a big gap that starts to grow and grow and grow between your knowing and your doing, deception will creep in and you'll deceive yourself. So James illustrates it's like this. In verse 23, he says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and forgets at once what he was like. So we hear the word man and we hear mirror. And my brain goes to Michael Jackson because I'm a child of the 80s. But I'm looking at the man in the mirror. Asking him to make a change. And we, what happens is, like, I've got this phone. Let's see, let's see if we can get this to work. This is, this is the plan. Uh, oh, I've lost the remote. Oh, there it is. Okay, let's see if we can get this to work. It was on a minute ago. It's gone off, so we're going to see if we can get this to work. Because what happens is we have mirrors like available to us all the time. And so uh, let's see if we can. Here we go. Here we go. 
So, like, I walked into the kitchen the other day, and and Cara um, was had her iPad up on the shelf, and she had it on selfie mode, and she was doing her hair. Look, there you are. Hey, good-looking crowd. Hello. Oh, there's another one. See, because we've got, like, let me put it on selfie mode. So, oh, that's, oh, there we go. Put it on a nice angle so I haven't got so many chins. <laughs> and so we have these things available to us all the time, don't we? They're like in our pocket. We can see ourselves anytime we want. So I walk into the kitchen the other day, and um, you don't know where to look now, do you? It's the drawer of a screen. Um, and, and Cara's got her iPad up on a shelf, and she's using it in selfie mode. And I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, well, you spent too long in the shower, and so I had to do my hair. And so she's using her iPad on selfie mode to be able to, to do her hair before she goes out to work. Um, and so we have these things available to us all the time. And what happens is when you've got something like this, what happens is we, we, we look at it and we're like, oh, man. Cool. A bit chubbier than I remember. Can you see all those gray hairs? They've come since having kids. And we start to pick out all the flaws, don't we? So when we look in the mirror, we go, oh, I'm not sure. Like, Oh, man, look at all those wrinkles. Cool. I need to do something about that. And so the mirror for us becomes a device for looking at ourselves and going, cool, that needs to change. That's horrible. That is really, 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 really not nice. Because the mirror has become a device for improving all the worst bits about ourselves. So we read James 1.23, and we think the man has looked in the mirror. He's looked at all the bits that are horrible about himself, and he's gone away and he's gone, right now I need to change all those things that are horrible about myself. All the bits that look disgusting, that God's not happy with, I need to go away now and I need to change those things about myself. And what happens is he goes away and he forgets what he looks like and so he goes straight back to doing all those horrible things and not living the godly life. Church, we need to put this illustration back in its context because actually when we say to to the original hearers of this word, when they heard the word mirror, they'd have gone either a few things. They'd have gone, oh, I remember when I looked in one of those. Because you see, a mirror was a real rare commodity in antiquity. It wasn't readily available. I mean, you had like water that you could look at your reflection. But it wasn't something that every household had. So you'd go, oh, I remember when I looked in my... Oh, oh, there's one day where I might actually look at myself and see myself as I really am. And so when you had the opportunity to look in a mirror, you would look intently at yourself. Go, wow, I've never seen myself with such clarity. See, the mirror is a device for seeing who you really are. To see yourself with clarity. See, what James is saying is, we have moments of clarity. We have moments where we see ourselves as we're meant to be. And sometimes that happens in church. I'm sure we've had those moments where we're just like, God, you love me. Oh, it's amazing. God thinks about me. God's passionate about me. He knows the hairs on my head, which are decreasing every day. He loves me. He's for me. He's transforming me. Now I need to, I'm transformed. I need to go. I need to go and transform the world. And they're the moments when we see ourselves with clarity. And they come and they wash over us. But what happens is life gets in the way. And life just starts getting busier and busier. And we have to run around and we've got to go. And we've got to do food for the kids. And we've got to go and look after that person. And we've got to get to work. And we've got to come back. And we've got to, got to get that show in because it's a really good show. And I want to watch it. And then we're thinking, oh man, I've got to be up at 7 o'clock in the morning. I've got to get this sorted. I've got to get this sorted. And now I've got to find in time some God time as well. And I've got to connect with other believers. And I'm just overwhelmed. And life sweeps over us and we forget who we really are. We forget what God has said about us. We forget what actually the mirror is reflecting. And we move away from the mirror and we move away from the clarity of who we really are. And then we get moments 
where the clarity is clear again, but it's like grasping at the wind. And you're like, I'm, 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 oh, it's gone again. Because life just swamps over us. What James is saying is, when we get to see who we really are, when we get those moments of clarity, that will transform us. When we see ourselves as God sees us and we respond because of the overflow of that in our lives, we'll be able to keep the change. We'll be able to keep the change. See, but as followers of Jesus, we can keep the change not by doing out of guilt or obligation, for that's like looking in the mirror, going away and forgetting who we really are. But for the one who looks and keeps on looking, Verse 25, it says, but for the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. Now, this isn't the law of Moses. This isn't the do's and don'ts. This is the gospel of grace. The law of liberty. This is saying, do you know what? There is one who has come that didn't abolish the law, but fulfilled the law because there's no way you ever could. All the law ever did for you was expose your problems. But Jesus came sinless, died a sinner's death, has fulfilled everything that the law required. So you now can accept him and become like him in the father's eyes. And so when we look into the perfect law of liberty and we keep reminding ourselves of the story of Jesus and his grace, when we remind ourselves, that's who I am. I'm a child of God. I'm, I'm, I'm forgiven. When we continually allow that to be our standard and persevere, we're then no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts and will be blessed in all of our doings. I don't know about you, but I want to be blessed in all of my doings. Would you like to be blessed in all of your doings? Everything you do to be blessed. James says, even when you're feeding the kids, when you're going for the food shop, when you're looking after that sick family member, when you're going to work, all of your doings can be blessed when you remember who you are. When you take time to look with clarity in the mirror. Church, when we feel overwhelmed, we take a moment to be reminded who we are. When we're worrying, we take a moment to remember who we actually are. God, I'm worrying about this and you're my father. You're Lord of all. You're God. And I'm worrying. And suddenly what happens there, a little practical tip, is our worry has become prayer. When we direct our worry towards God, as one practical way. You can continually receive. You can continually remind yourself what you look like. I'm just going to talk to you. Prayer is not some weird thing reserved for set times of the day. It's a conversation with your creator. And it becomes real and dynamic and starts to change your life. And we start to see ourselves as we are. And it starts to take and change us. But can I tell you, this, start, this, this lifestyle of, of constantly looking, constantly allowing circumstances and situations to not, not cause us to move away from the mirror, to, but draw closer and see ourselves as God's. Can I tell you, it takes effort. And that's when the church turns around and says, oh, it's effort. Not the gospel of grace anymore because it's effort. Can I tell you something? Grace does not mean a lack of effort. It means a lack of earning. Or can I tell you, living this Christian life takes effort. It is hard work. It is hard work. But when we continually look at what Jesus has done for us and remind ourselves that we cannot earn it, but we need to fight with all of our effort to allow everyone and everything around us to remind us just how loved we are by God to say, that's who I am in the mirror. That's who I am. Look, that's what I actually am. Not what the world tells me I am. Not what I think I am. That's what God thinks I am. 
then actually we start to be transformed. When we hear consistently and act instantly. So guys, I'm going to draw to a conclusion. So that's my cue to Ian to come and start playing softly because we know that when the soft music plays, the Holy Spirit is really amongst us. <laughs> and 80% of you have just re-engaged because I've used the word conclusion. So that's the truth of the matter. So you're like, oh, wake up now because I need to be able to talk to him about something tomorrow. And if I can sum up his conclusion in a sentence, then he'll know I've been listening. But I love how James finishes this chapter. Because, I don't know, but when, when I'm preparing a sermon in my, in my mind constantly is application. How, how do we apply this to our lives? How, how do we make this applicable to who we are? How, 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 does, how does this relate to our, our everyday week? And James does it here without me having to figure anything out. He just says it straight away. And he says, if you want a clue as to the person who says a lot but doesn't really do a lot, verse 25. Sorry, verse 26. And we'll read it in the message. It says, anyone who sets himself up as religious by talking a good game is self-deceived. This kind of religion is hot air and only hot air. So you remember Father James, he's not mixing his words, is he? He's just going to say it as it is. And he's saying, for those of you who, who know a lot, but you don't really do a lot, then you're really good at talking a good game. You're really good at convincing everybody else around you that you're spiritual because you're not actually living spiritual. And that's why, for me, authenticity is such a high value in this church. That there's no one in this church that's claiming to be perfect. We are not claiming to have it all sorted. I'm passionate about this church being an authentic community of Jesus followers. And that means, church, that we watch what we say. And I don't mean that we're not cursing, although that's part of it, maybe. I'm not saying that we, we, we make sure that all our language is sweet, although that's part of it. But actually, we watch how we present ourselves. That instead of trying to convince everybody around us that I'm really spiritual. And when you make a, an error, I'm, I'm going to pull you up on it. I'm going to prove that I'm more spiritual than you. Talk in a language that people don't understand. When we start doing that, do you know what we're doing? We're just making everybody around us feel really, really small. James says, you're self-deceived. You're self-deceived because you're trying to prove that you're spiritual. And James is saying, I'm not sure you're that spiritual. But the person instead, whose religion has meaning, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father, I love that, is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. To keep oneself unstained from the world is to say, live by a different set of values. Don't let the values of out there determine how you're to live. Church, if we want to see genuine, authentic transformation in our lives, as followers of Jesus in this room, we need to hear consistently, act instantly, and love constantly. That's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. Religion that is pure and defiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. I looked at that word visit. It means to go and to see and to be with. Do you know what that means? You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know what you're doing. You're just called to go, to be, and to see. To sit alongside those that are desperate. To sit alongside those that have no one to love them. To sit alongside those that have no home. And nothing grand may happen. The Shekinah glory of God may not fall. 
but you're called to go and you're called to be and you're called to see. And what's hilarious is the church, we love to take these kind of verses and say, well, is the, the widows and orphans, is that, is that like literal or is that like a heart posture? Is it literal or metaphorical? What are we talking here? And, and so we go out and we're like, well, we've been told to love widows and orphans. So I'm like, hi, how you doing? Yeah, I've been told by my church to come and love widows and orphans. Oh, I'm sorry, you have a husband. Do beg your pardon. I'll move on. I mean, come on. While we're here debating about whether this is literal or metaphorical, there are literally metaphorical widows and orphans in our town who are crying out for the church to meet them right where they are. And he says, go, be, and see. Do you know why? Do you know why to see transformation in our life we have to love constantly? Because when we do that, we are no more like the Father who, love con- who loves us constantly. It says in the Psalms that our Father is a father to the fatherless and a defender of the widow. See, when we step out and we start to love and we start to be and we start to see, do you know what happens? We start to become more like God. And when we become more like God, we start to see transformation in our lives. And it's not because we've got to go out of obligation and we've got to do and we've just got to, I've just got to do it. I just need to sweat more for God. Say, no, I've received this amazing grace and I'm going to shower it on somebody else. And actually when I shower it on somebody else, I see it in a way that I've never seen it before because that person that I just showered on it can do nothing for me. Wow, God, I can do nothing for you. And yet you still love me. And that starts to transform us. Starts to change us. Because we see God as he is and we see ourselves as God sees us. James says to start here, just help the helpless. It's what God's done for you that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So instead of pointing out all the sin in everybody else's life, we go, you know what? I'm the same and God showered his love on me. Church, let's just close our eyes. This is just a moment for for two things that I felt prompted as I was preparing this message. Just two two things that I think God wants to do right now in this moment. Just these next few moments before we finish this time together. And the first is this. Jesus said when he spoke to the 12 disciples and he sent them out, freely you've received, now freely give. I think for some in this room you need to receive Maybe for the first time, you need to allow God to show you with clarity what you look like. Not what the world has said you are. Not the labels that society's put on you, but who God claims as you. And you need to receive for the first time his love. Speaking to somebody recently and they said, it's like the, the, the contact lenses have just been put back in. I see myself as I'm meant to be seen. So maybe for you, it's the first time just accepting what Jesus has done for you and allowing him to reveal who he is and who you are. Or maybe that you've been giving out of obligation for years and years and years and years. And you just feel exhausted. You just feel burnt out. You just feel like I can't keep going. Do you know what? Receive. Receive. In this moment, 
If you need to receive, all I'm going to ask you to do is something really simple. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna count to three, and I'm just gonna ask you if you want to receive, just put your hand up in the air, and we do that because it's God stirring something inside of you, and I think as we respond physically, it just kind of solidifies what God's doing inside. So if you need to accept for the first time who He is, or you just need to receive something from God this morning, let this be your response. Just raise your hand. One, God loves you. Two, He wants to give to you. Three, just raise your hand right now if you need to receive. Amen. Just encourage you, just keep that hand raised in the air. Every eye is closed. This is for you and God. God, I thank you that each one of these hands that is raised right now represents a heart that wants to receive from you. Whether it's for the first time receiving from you, or whether it's just a fresh outpouring. Oh, the streams of living water would flow up from within you, and it's almost like it's just got a bit salty. It's got a bit stagnant. God's just saying, I'm going to wash over you right now. Wash over you with my love. Wash over you with my grace. Receive it afresh. Receive it anew. It washes over you. Holy Spirit, will you come? His hands are the posture of receiving with meekness. But we can't do this alone. But we need you. So we just start to pour out, Lord. Just keep receiving. And I think there's a second group that God just wants to speak into this morning. That those that have freely received, that actually the, the word of God for you this morning is now freely give. Really give. You've got to start giving. You know it all. You've received it. And actually, as you step out and you give, you're going to receive something fresh and new from the Lord. That you need to receive and respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing within you. And the, the call is to go and to see and to be with just asking God right now is if that's you that he'd start to put somebody in your heart right now that you need to go and be and see that you need to just sit alongside that even this week maybe that person in your family or your workplace that you struggle to love the most God is saying actually what I'm calling you to do is love them because as you do you're going to see something of my love for you Maybe as you're just walking around town, you just see someone that's lost. God will prompt you. So if this morning, if you know that God is calling you to a new type of religion, one that is pure and undefiled before God the Father, Ian's going to lead us in a song. And if that's you this morning, what I, what I want you to do is just during this song and while it's been played and while we sing, just to stand to your feet. If you know that God is calling you, that you've received in this moment or you've received and now you need to give. Just let our actions be one where we stand to our feet as a representation that God, I'm standing to my feet. 
Not out of obligation, not out of guilt, but out of an overflow of who you are. And sense that there's some in this place even that you've given up on transformation. That God could actually really ever change you. Receive afresh. Receive anew. Even you. Even you. Even you. If you want to receive some prayer this morning, you want someone to stand with you in prayer, I'd love you to come forward. I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you need to stand during this song and that's your response. But church... Let's receive the implanted word. And out of the overflow of that, let's be doers, showering God's grace on those around us. Amen.
heart Break my heart for what breaks yours And everything I am for your kingdom's cause And as I walk from earth into eternity Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, 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 Hosanna. grace how sweet the sound amazing love now flowing down from hands and feet nailed to the tree as grace flows down covers me and covers me and covers me 
covers me.